Mineola High School was close to being torn down when I first arrived. It was 1960. Vietnam was just the tiniest tempest in a teapot, and prior to the protests and riots to come, colleges were strictly where one went to get an education. Mineola High was an old brick behemoth, and, like most high schools of the time, smelled of brill cream and body odor. It would be a while before the boys' room was filled with pot smoke. The school housed four kinds of kids. Jocks, hoods, post-greaser punks, sharks and jets who kept their cigarettes rolled up in their t-shirt sleeves. The kids not smart enough to consider college who majored in woodshop. And the few weirdos who went out for drama. Music at Mineola was pretty much non-existent and probably thought of by the administration to be totally off the wall, if not dangerously extreme. Rock music was still considered a threat. As a nice Jewish boy with beatnik tendencies, I didn't really fit into any of those four categories. I didn't know it then, but I was just waiting for the 60s to really get started. So I quickly had to find a way to survive high school without being shunned by the entire student body and doomed to acute social depression and greater-than-normal teen angst. I decided to become a journalist. Not the news kind of journalist. More like the gossip kind of journalist reporting on the comings and goings of the underbelly of our little post-pubescent adolescent society. I took journalism class and somehow talked my way into getting my own column in the school newspaper. I would become the J.J. Hunsecker of Mineola High School. Why on earth would I want to have a column? To blackmail my fellow classmates. What could I possibly gain by putting everybody's dirty laundry out to dry? Security. I would use my column to blackmail the physically threatening hoods and pompously condescending jocks so that they would allow me to survive in this depressing teenage jungle that I was stuck in. And, in return, they would not have to suffer the humiliation that my malevolent little world of gossip and innuendo could offer. My column was called, appropriately, Steve's World. I felt like Stalin's NKVD. People would come to me with stories of other people. They would name names, point accusing fingers at their fellow classmates, entitle me with juicy tales from parties past and of pregnancy's future. I was king of the rumor mill. I loved it. I not only survived, I thrived. If a girl looked at me the wrong way, I would write that she was about to do a butter commercial in New York for the 70-cent spread. If a hood threatened to beat my brains in, I would report on good authority that his muffler sported a three-inch tailpipe, thereby establishing myself as Mineola's king of the double entendre. Once my classmates were subdued, and my power trip no longer a novelty, I went on to use my column as a weekly diary to record my journeys into Manhattan. I had been singing unprofessionally since I was five years old. Sometimes in the courtyard in front of our garden apartment in Queens, sometimes from my elementary school classmates, and sometimes on local live TV. I felt I needed something to accompany my growing a cappella repertoire. So I rented a ukulele. But at the risk of sounding like a miniature Arthur Godfrey, I gave it up, little realizing that I was only two strings away from my future vocation. I didn't just want to sing. I wanted to be a musician. It was the era of folk music, the Kingston Trio and the new Christie Minstrels. College kids were the fashionistas of the time. Cool jazz, sick humor, 
coffee houses with real-life beatniks. I wanted to be part of it, and not just another square peg in Mr. Reinhalter's math class. Away from school, I was becoming more and more introspective, turning away from social and family obligations and leaning toward the arts for solace and inspiration. I hitched a ride to Greenwich Village one evening with my brother. Dennis and a friend of his wanted to spend some time checking out the coffee houses. They wanted to see the White Horse Tavern, where Dylan Thomas supposedly drank himself to death, and to find out what the beatniks were up to. Maybe catch a Shakespeare sonnet over a cup of cappuccino, or a union anthem or two by some ex-merchant marine at Gertie's Folk City.